Hey, Owen, I can't believe how long it's been. So good to see you. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, Shabri? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. Thank you. Uh, this has been a conversation I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, I know when it comes to sales development and lots of exciting things that you're doing at Air, um, there's, there's no one better to speak to than you, Owen. So, so thanks, for, thanks for joining. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> good well I've got about half an hour to use it so um I, I for those of people who don't know you um it'd be great if you could give a brief introduction to um to who you are and a little bit about about your journey yeah sure so um I am the founder and CEO of Air Marketing uh, best known as an outsourced SDR organization um but we do a lot more than that. We provide a lot more um, of a dynamic service nowadays compared to what we maybe did two, three, four years ago on a marketing and demand gen to support sales teams. Ultimately, we're, we're driven by creating pipeline and revenue growth for organizations. Um, and then more recently launched our SDR Academy um, earlier this year. So um, an interesting journey so far that's full of uh, good decisions, bad decisions and uh, growing a growing a startup but a fun one nonetheless and um, you know my day job is focused all around sales and sales development um, and it's the, the subject that I am most passionate about for sure. Amazing well lots to lots to dig into there so you mentioned about how Airs evolved from the marketing demand gen and most recently to the SDR Academy um, what, what's the kind of drivers been for you in the last few years as Air has launched these new offerings to, to their clients? Look, look, I think there's a big personal one there, which is going back to, I don't like to talk about this very much, we're going back to a pandemic and a change of the way that people bought and the fact that we lost, uh, I don't know, 85% of revenue pretty much overnight because we did one thing, we did it well, but all of a sudden nobody wanted it. Um, so I think there's a, there's a conscious strategy to diversify. Um, and alongside that, the fact that clients ask for different things and there's a demand there to join sales and marketing up far more. Um, it is no longer in-house or outsource. A lot of the time it's both side by side. And so the more we can be aligned with what people are doing internally and helping them to solve the problem, because this, the problem is never one dimensional. It's never one thing that's going wrong. It's always lots of things. Um, the stickier our clients are and the, 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 the better value we're able to deliver. So, yeah, lots of drivers behind that. But those are, those are the ones that stand out. Yeah, I love I love what you just said around it doesn't need to be in-house or, or outsourced. And I think that's something that I think a lot of companies are doing right now um, across all facets, really. Um, but not this kind of binary option of we either do it or we don't do it. Um, and you talked about problems never being one dimensional. What are some of the most common problems that people come to you with that they're looking to get your help with? Uh, on the sales developments, look, look, almost all is a revenue growth challenge, right? We don't either, either revenue efficiency or we need more revenue. And I think that, that that's the, the fundamental. But when you dig in and understand why are they not achieving what they want to achieve right now without us, um, particularly across the sales development side, I think ultimately everybody has had or is having, probably both, um, challenges around people in their sales development team. So be very difficult to hire the right people. They don't perform like you want them to. They take a lot of management, a lot of coaching, a lot of training, and they ramp slowly. 
um, slower than anyone thinks that they really do. And they don't deliver the revenue numbers you want. And even if they do, they leave very quickly or they demand huge increases in pay very quickly. And, and you know, juggling all of that is, I was going to say a full-time job, but it's a full-time job for a lot of people. Um, and in the meantime, you've got founders trying to do that themselves whilst running a business. You've got businesses that are working on other things that are, are, are big priorities for them. So, um, it, you know, there's almost always a people challenge in there, whether it's we can't people can't find people, the people we've got aren't performing, or we just, yeah, we have a headcount freeze and there's a, a challenge around the way that we structure the growth of the business and the finances in the business. I think also there's still a belief that from a lot of sales and revenue leaders that we should expect the same level of pipeline contribution from SDR as we should as we did five, 10 years ago. And we haven't evolved. So expectations have stayed steady, but the job has got harder. And therefore, we've got a gap between what revenue leaders think they should be getting and what reality is that they get. And that just creates volatility in the way that people think and buy. They're always looking for the next thing to solve their, solve their problem. And then finally, they're looking for scalability. So I've got this and it's delivering that. I need more and I need fast ways to make that happen. And yeah, sure, you can go and hire lots of people or turn on uh, you know, other channels. But outbound is always a channel to be considered whenever people are looking at that. So you know, it's just summarizing some of them. But trust me when I say we see, we see all sorts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bet you do. And, and you know, I've been um, on the receiving end of it where CEOs and founders say this SDR thing doesn't work. And, you know, I don't, you know, I think from at least what I see, I think sometimes people just, you know, throw resources at it and expect it to, you know, to deliver the moon and the stars. And I think, you know, some of the reasons that you just talked about around hiring the right people, the coaching, the training, um, and I think you really summarized it well in your presentation at SaaS Growth, um, where you were talking about why SDRs aren't hitting quota. Um, I'd love to I'd love to dig into some of those reasons because I think it goes it very much encapsulates the people, but I think it, it goes beyond the people as well. Um, do you want to for those those people who might be listening who didn't hear your presentation um, at SaaS Growth, um, what your what your key reasons were and, and what you're seeing today? Yeah, look, I think I tried to pick out some common things that I see, but but obviously it's not an exclusive list limited to these things. But I guess my point is that the majority of reps aren't hitting quota. The majority of SDR teams are not hitting quota. Um, we have a fundamental issue with sales development. And I think it's natural for, for us as revenue leaders to point to the individuals within that, not reflect the mirror back at ourselves. And I think that is where the issue lies. So some of the examples of things I talked about is that plain and simply, quotas are too high. You know, on, on average, whenever I go into an organization, whether it's through us being outsourced or through my consultancy work, almost always I'm trying to pick, talk people's quotas down because whilst I agree with the sentiment of stretch targets, you know, we're living pipe dreams of, of, of reps being able to book you know, two meetings a day and that sort of stuff. And you just think, oh, God, you're setting people up to, to fail. So I think, uh, you know, universally I'm seeing targets getting higher because pressure is on companies to grow at a time where it's getting harder for reps to deliver um, and more complicated for them to do their job. Um, I think you look at the, the average profile of a rep, they're younger than they used to be. They've got less commercial experience because the SDR role 10 years ago was barely a thing. Now it's, you know, everyone needs more and more SDRs. So naturally the, 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 the level at which we hire our, uh, our SDRs reduces in order to bring that quantity in and you have a quantity over quality issue. Um, 
organizations aren't investing in the right sort of training and enablement. They're overcomplicating things with you know, a tech stack with nine different platforms in it that people have got to learn. They're ignoring the phone, so nobody's having human conversations and learning how to actually sell. Um, and even if you're not learning how to sell, you're learning why your market says no and you're learning from the negative conversations. Whereas an email where somebody says no equates to a delete and no feedback, therefore I learn zero. Um, you know, some pretty basic stuff in there that, you know, we're not hiring fit for purpose. Uh, we're trying to teach people too many things at once. We've got reps spending barely any time actually selling because they're busy researching data and building lists and all that sort of stuff. So when you break it down to the fundamentals, what do we need to give salespeople um, in order to the, for them to have a good chance or, or, or sales teams? We need to hire the right people. We need to train and coach them. We need to give them some, something simple to do. And we need to allow them to go in and do that and learn it quickly. And we need to, to, to make sure that it's easy for them to learn and support them on that journey. What we're actually doing is overcomplicating it, letting them do things that are not active selling. Like they should be selling 90% of the time. Yes, you need internal meetings and coaching and get them selling. The more time they spend selling, the more time they spend learning what works and what doesn't. What we're actually doing is getting them spending time on sales navigator building lists for four hours a day and then patting them on the back saying well done you're doing really well you're doing great research yeah but what have you sold nothing and or what have you learned nothing um and yeah it, it, look, you're gonna send me off on one if i start going too much but i think we have a fundamentally broken system um and it's down to the sales leaders most of whom haven't been an sdr or if they were they probably weren't a very good one um who just have this sort of this sort of dream world view of what SDRs should be able to do and what they should be doing day to day. Um, so it's no wonder that it's failing in the majority of organisations. So my first question to anybody when they say you know, hiring SDRs doesn't work for me is how long have you been doing it? Because I can tell you now it will fail for the first 12 months regardless of what you do. So you've got to be thinking about it like a long-term investment. It's like buying a house and saying, well, it didn't give me a return six months after you bought it. Well, no, because the market shifts up and down. But in five years' time, I can guarantee you'll get a return if you do it well and you're patient. It's the same with this. It's not an overnight fix. You've got to invest and iterate and learn from your mistakes. And we're just not doing that. Yeah, I think you've you've summarized that so well. And as you were talking about it, I was thinking to myself, when you hear it like that, some of these things are a bit of a double-edged sword because the reason companies invest in tech stack is to help sellers save time and let them focus on selling so there's probably been a tipping point somewhere in that of what do we actually need what's a nice to have what versus what's a what's a must have um i think the biggest thing that you said that that stood out to me was reps ignoring the phone um and this is something we've been talking about for a while and i think in um, during the pandemic, I think people shied away from the phone because it was, you know, hard to get mobile numbers. Um, what do you think is the reason for an avoidance of the phone today? Look, I think it's probably the same reason. So, so let's come back to tech again. I think that's got a contributing factor in there. I think this, the reason people avoid it today is the same they probably all same reason they probably always have, which is it's a very uncomfortable thing to do for a human being you know we are not naturally wired to put ourselves out there to be openly rejected time after time every day and um you know the human psyche is one that we don't like to put ourselves out for judgment um and and you know cold calling is a very unnatural thing for people to do um based on kind of how we're wired as as human beings 
um, historically, we've had no other way of doing it, right? So that was the only way, therefore, we did it. And what we've done in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years with the introduction of you know, digital and email and, and, and LinkedIn and automation tools is built other ways to do it. And therefore, it's more comfortable for people. I think what I recognize or what I see is that, that, that consistently the top performers that I get to work with or, or see working almost always are people that embrace the phone. There are some random exceptions to that, but they're incredibly good at something else. They're incredibly good at building a personal brand and driving inbound. They focused all their attention on that, but it didn't work from day one. Um, and I think they're rare. On the most part, you know, the, almost all the top performers, they embrace the phone. doesn't mean they don't use, use other channels, but they are incredibly good on the phone and, and, and the, 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 the foundations of their success are built off of that. So I don't think... I think we've changed, but I think what's happened is we've brought in things that should be accelerators and they've actually become crutches for us. They've become blockers. And so I can be doing something else, therefore I will. Oh, what did you do today? I sent 50 emails. Oh, great. How many responses do you get? None. Right, okay. But you sent the emails. Well, you're working hard. Versus if I'd have had 50 conversations with somebody or even 10 conversations on the phone, um, I'd have learned something from each of those conversations. And I think that's the thing is that I don't think it's anything new in psych. It's just that we found other things that can help us and we're allowing them to be excuses more and more. Um, so is it hard? Yeah. But was it always hard? Yeah. I, I don't think it's really changed. It's just we've got all this other stuff around us, which is creating noise, distraction. And let's face it, comfort blankets for both sales leaders and individual reps. Um, yeah. yeah, that's my view on it. I think, I think it's changed so much though, because I think back to when, when I was in SDR and there was no the kind of concept of a multi-channel cadence was lost on everyone, right? It was phone and email. So when I started cold calling, I was one cold call in, you know, probably 20 that someone had that day. Um, so I think what you what you said is, is spot on. I think there's a willingness to do it. And then I think there's the actual skills behind it, right? I think, you know, there's that stat of you've got sort of a couple of seconds to make a good impression on the phone. So someone could be willing to pick up the phone, but then there's the skills piece behind it, right? What's an effective call opening? What's a pattern interrupt? So I think shifting slightly to the skills and enablement piece of, of what you, of what, you know, what you see and I think where the challenges are, um, how would you kind of summarize the, the state of enablement within the world of sales development, I guess? Um, yeah, it's hit and miss, isn't it? It's probably a good way of doing it. Look, I think part, part of the challenge here, and I think a lot of this, and I'm, I'm specifically um, uh, relating this to SaaS as a, an industry, because I think the issue is bigger in SaaS than it is in a lot of other sectors. And it's just simply because of the way that funding has worked in the SaaS sector and growth is driven by funding. And therefore, we get the growth in people before we get the revenue growth versus the majority of the world. You know, they earn the right to grow their team, right? We're, we're growing, we're selling more, let's hire more people to sell more. And it's multiplication theory. So the fact that we do things backwards because of the nature of the industry is a real problem. And the way that funding has changed in the last... I'm going to say decade, but it's probably longer than that. And so what we do is we hire salespeople and then we, we ask them to bring the revenue versus the other way around. And that means we take five people at a time or 10 people at a time. And when you look at the industry and, you know, go back to sort of 2015 to 2020, the amount of funding that was available for organizations meant that you and I would sit at an event for, 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 for sales confidence and we'd hear somebody who, had, who was, I've got a headcount growth target of 50 SDRs. 
that was like everyone was like, oh, they're a great organization. I can almost always, and I said it at the time and I'll say it now, it's impossible to do that well. It is impossible to headcount growth in six months or 12 months, 50 SDRs and to do it well. So the amount of people coming in just means that you, you can't get that right. But then on top of that, because of that demand and the fact that you need an SDR manager for every eight or six or 10 reps or depending on who you're talking to, every X reps, means that now your SDR manager is somebody who's been in the business for nine months. So all of a sudden, your coaching and training is being done by somebody whose experience is this big. Um, and this problem just multiplies and has multiplied over roughly a decade. And I think the reality is that we've got a real problem where we've got an overpopulation of poor managers and poor leaders. And so really, you've either got to slow that down and reverse it somehow, which will take it'll take a generation. It's not going to be an overnight thing unless you force it within your organization. Or you've got to look at people like yourself, Shabri, and the work we're doing in the academy, outsource staff or partners who can support you externally and come in and help you. But even that is, it, you know, it, 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 it's flawed in that they're outside of the business. So you've got to solve both problems side by side. But I, I, I don't like it. I think um, we've got too many people, particularly setting SDR managers and enablement roles, don't actually understand what it is to be a good rep and are, if anything, enforcing the message of hiding behind email, of trying to automate everything, of making it, you know, making it, hey, do you know what? Let's spend half an hour personalizing this email because it will guarantee us an open rate. Um, and then, you know, half an hour has gone, you send something that's ridiculously cheesy and nobody opens it and they delete it and get rid of it. And you go, well, <laughs> what could I have done with that time? But we've got enablement teams saying that's a great thing to do. So, look, again, it's nothing's perfect in the world, but I think we're drifting further and further away from good practice and we're complicating the 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 art the science of sales you know we have been complicating it more and more for for several years now we've got to try to turn that around and and reverse engineer the complication embrace the technology embrace the, the multi-channel stuff but keep it simple so that sales reps can learn what they need to be doing um, far faster yeah i think keeping it simple is is such a um, a strong message that I think people can take away from what you're saying because I think we're overcomplicating things whether it's onboarding or tech stack or messaging or cadences whatever it is and I actually think we can go back to basics on a lot of that stuff. Um, I think you know I, I've been in the world of SDR enablement for for a while and one thing that always used to be a bugbear of mine was people used to come to me when things were broken, not at the outset right and actually undoing some of the behaviors skills ways of working is is often a lot harder so with your SDR academy um talk to me a little bit about where where do you get involved in that process is it is it early on when pre-hiring or is it through their journey and and what kind of things are you seeing there Look, it's a bit of a mixture. And I think much like what you've seen, it, it's reflected in what we do, where people go, I've got a problem, let's go and find some training for, for people. And I think the beauty of our academy, and the one thing I really, I'm really proud of with it, is that it's an ongoing learning journey. Because you and I both know you don't solve skills shortages or, or attitude mindset shortages with one session or two sessions or across a day. You solve it with ongoing reinforcement. So the beauty of our academy is that we're running one or two training sessions every single week for those reps on an ongoing basis until they feel they don't need that anymore on a subscription basis. So we're not trying to solve it in a day. 
you know, it's that old thing, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's about little bits, one brick at a time. And what that allows us to do is actually to, to, to reverse or rewire the thinking. Because to your point, those people that come to us and they're not performing, quite often I can point the finger back at the, the culture of the business, the things that they've been trained to do so far. And I've got to, you know, we've got to, we've got to rewire that somehow. So we can't do that in a half day training session because they'll remember 2% of it, walk out and off they go back to old habits, whereas we're able to be there with them every single week. Have you got on this week? We're reinforcing that and we're training around multiple topics multiple times. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that that works really well. The ideal, yeah, is that it's, part, it's built into somebody's journey. So some of our clients now who have been on the academy or got reps on the academy are bringing their new reps in as default. And that means that we can get in early and lay the foundations to be built upon. Um, which, which is fantastic, and that's what we'd love to be doing. But uh, the reality is I think we're always going to be trying to rewire as well. I don't think we'll ever get rid of that. And when, when, you, when it comes to the re- rewiring, what are the most popular or common areas that need re- rewiring? What are people struggling with the most? Um, I, I think we've got, particularly at the age group that the average SDR is right now, we've got a... Um, an avoidance issue. So whether this is cultural, societal, organizational culture, personality driven, um, avoidance of hard work and avoidance of difficult conversations and challenging conversations. Um, And from a sales uh, leader perspective, avoidance of qualifying that out in the sales process. So again, we need to hire reps. So let's just hire these people because they can, you know, they can uh, interview well. Uh, is no longer good enough and what we end up with is reps who actually i've seen it reps who come in and say oh i didn't really want to be making cold calls or i didn't realize the job would be this hard and you're thinking oh god we've got to really think about how we're hiring and, and getting it right in the first place so i think that you know a lot of it always comes back to the phone and i think also this whole i'm going into a tech career selling SaaS in sdr it's become a really cool thing. Um, I'm showing my age by referencing it as cool. I'm sure there's another word for it nowadays. um, You know, I think people forget that doing it is bloody hard work. And I go back to, I started in what we now coin as an SDR, which has become a sexy title, but was originally a telemarketing rep or whatever. And um, to your point, I started with a list and a phone and that was it. There was nothing else. So I had no choice but to get good at being on the phone. And I go as far as to say, I'd still do that nowadays if I had it my way. I'd have I'd, for the first month. I'd give them a phone. I wouldn't even give them email. Focus on the phone. Go and have as many conversations. If you get zero opportunities, I'm happy with that. But tell me what you've learned from those conversations. Tell me what you've learned from the skills that you need to get better at. What's working in your messaging, and that can then translate into to other channels. So I think a lot of it's around attitude and mindset rather than skill sets. I think we've got people who are just as intelligent who are, if anything, are more educated, who come in with better commercial knowledge because they're more exposed to businesses and how they run through education and social media and exposure to things. So they've got a better chance than any other generation, but we've just got to rewire this attitude mentality thing. Um, And actually, you've got to do two, three, four, five years of hard yards at the beginning of your career. And it is going to be hard and you're going to get a lot of failure. And you've got to get through that to earn the right to go and do the really, you know, perceived good stuff, managing people, leading, coaching, training, making decisions, that sort of stuff. Well, I, th- I think that's really, you touched on something really interesting there about the kind of attitude, mindset and skill set. And I've always been of the opinion, and I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, I've, I've always been of the opinion that hire for attitude 
because that's a really difficult thing to coach and train for skill set, right? So you talked about, you know, the avoidance of hard work. Like I can't, I don't know how to train someone to work hard. I feel like that's innate. So how do you get around that in the academy of if you do have people with what I probably call qualities and attributes that are like that, but they're, you know, you potentially can train them on skill. How does that end up panning out? for the company and for the leader and, and how do you get around that when you're um when you're working with them through this program look our, our job is to train people in good faith right so, so so and our job is to give them a skills increase and try to shift their mindset to some degree but but they're living in a culture in a business all day every day and that's always going to be the the biggest influencer on how they feel how hard they work because they've got a line manager who's there next to them they've got colleagues and peers around them we're with them a couple of hours a week so it's very hard to shift it that we can we can nudge it in the right direction i tell you right now um eric's our lead um our lead trainer on the academy he's an incredible coach and trainer around sales generally he's also an incredible read of people and i can tell you right now that within a few sessions on the academy when he meets somebody he will be able to pick in three or six months time whether they'll still be with that company or not and it comes back to those points if they're in that training you can see it and they're they've chosen to be there nobody's forcing them there their organization are investing in their development in an external thing they're giving them something that they don't have to it's a real benefit they're taking time out work hours to collaborate with SDRs from other organizations and learn how people are solving those problems and what are they doing to get around this and what tools are they using and they're learning from industry experts who are running the sessions you can tell because there's the rep who's like you can see them looking at the screen and listening and asking questions oh can I just do that and does anyone want to have a go at doing this yeah I'm in and the reps that put themselves on mute sit there want to turn their cameras off and you can see them typing away and doing so. I can tell you now, they're the people that ain't going to make it. Um, so yeah, it does. You know, I I I I don't want to prove you wrong because I agree wholeheartedly. I would take, I would take, you know, take ten average skill set performers perceived who have the right attitude who want to sit in this room and who will energize each other and push people forwards and challenge themselves to be better and outside of work or listen to podcasts like this and learn the things they should be and go and go and watch videos on, on, you know, or, or go to events or join, you know, whatever, just invest in themselves over, you know, high A, A, you know, A player skill sets who are quite frankly a pain in the ass think they're better than, than, than picking up the phone and making a cold call because they're just not going to be successful as often. You'll get the odd one that breaks the rules, but um it'll probably break your culture in the meantime because everybody else will look at that and think well you know if they can do that why do i need to work hard so yeah i'm I'm fully on side with that concept it's funny when you talk about the body language that you're seeing on the zoom call and sort of the disengagement um my experience is you know those people are actually always the ones that i think come out of the training the weakest but this kind of like i don't need to be here i don't need to learn attitude but actually i think then the gap widens between the top performers and the um the sort of less willing people as well so we've spoken a bit about attitude and and mindset so just sort of lastly shifting to the skills um element of what you're focusing on in the academy um i know you've launched that this year which is which is really great are there any modules that that you're running that are proving to be the most effective or, or the most in demand, I suppose. Yeah, and, and um, as you'd expect me to say, it's still back to co-calling and the art of human conversation. So um, I think what reps are getting to their credit and where we see 
probably we're adding the least value is in and around things like utilizing tech stack and writing emails and personalization. So I think reps are getting quite a lot of training and peer um, development around that sort of stuff. But but the biggest gap, I think, and it's like, I've been, I've been, you'll know me, I've been harping on about this for years, but it's now being evidenced more so than ever. The biggest gaps in reps coming and thinking, this is how I make a, how I have a sales conversation. This is how I handle an objection. This is the kind of question I need to be asking. This is what a good meeting looks like when I'm talking to a salesperson. This is how I get through gatekeepers or receptionists. This is how I find mobile numbers. It's that stuff to get into a human conversation when you're there. How do I turn that into an opportunity? And not just book a meeting, because I think most of the sales content that you can you can consume on LinkedIn nowadays is about how do I book a meeting for a meeting's sake? You know, can I have 27 seconds, seven seconds of your time to tell you why we should meet and then I want to meet with you? But nobody knows anything about your situation or whether you've got any kind of a need to buy what I have to offer. And, and it's not just those guys, it's everybody else around them. We do some brilliant stuff at getting salespeople to be able to sell. But what we're not teaching is salespeople how to have a business conversation. And I think what we're pretty good at is helping people to understand not just what you should say, but why you should say it, or why you shouldn't say something, why you should structure things a certain way. And what's the theory behind how to structure a a sales conversation and that can be translated into discovery calls and um, and further down the sales cycle but really understanding that you and I having a conversation why I'm saying what I'm saying when I'm saying it what I'm hoping to get from that and how I build rapport with you and those sorts of things because again your reps are coming in and they're not getting that sort of training internally so that's where I see the biggest gap and therefore where we get the feedback on being you know the, the reps seeing the most value I love that, really focusing on why are we saying that. And I think the there's been so much movement from book a meeting, sell a meeting. And that's why when companies still say to me they're targeted on meetings booked, I'm like, I'm sort of pulling my hair and thinking, okay, how do we, how do you make this shift internally? And um, we had Ben Smith on this podcast and it was actually really interesting him talking about how do we, how does he get his team to build a relationship and build a trust? Because there's so many not right nows, but how do you really nurture those people? And if you move away from, well, the objective of this is for me to try and sell you something, it's actually the objective here is how can what we do help you? And I think it's that mindset um, but it sounds like there's there's lots of interesting stuff that, that you're covering there. And I think the theory of how to structure a sales conversation, um, I'm intrigued by that as well. So maybe 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 I'll join one of your sessions. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've picked up bits over the years and you've done plenty of it, Shabri. So you probably, this is the funny thing. I think when you say this stuff and you teach people, I think they realize, oh, yeah, I do that. And that's why I do it. And it makes sense now. But I don't think we're helping reps understand the why behind what they're doing. It's just the what. And I think yeah, that always goes a long way. And I think just going back to that tech stack thing and, and what Ben was talking about there and like the relationships and the quality of conversation, again, that's something that's been lost. We've got to go and book a meeting. Actually, no, if I can build a better relationship with you, I've got far more leverage in my conversation to be a better salesperson. So making our goal to do that. And when it comes to that tech stack, my, my response to people is, does it help us get more human conversations? So if it helps us to, to you know, if it helps us to get more human conversations, so tech stack, yeah, a, a tool that gets you mobile numbers is a great tool to having your tech stack because that's going to help you get more conversation, human conversations on the phone. An email tool that drives inbounds that, that doesn't take masses of effort where it lets me get more human conversations in, great. But a tool that's going to stop me from having more human conversations and 
push my time towards other channels and you know all that sort of stuff is um, going to get in the way. And I think that's my qualifier is like, can I have more human conversations? If I can have a meaningful conversation with you on the phone or Teams or Zoom or whatever the platform is, that's human to human, not via a digital channel and writing, I want to do that as many times in a week as I can. And that's my key metric is like, can I have that conversation? So if I can get five of those a day and I can push that to 10 a day, then I'm, in theory, I'm going to double my output, assuming they're similar sort of standards of conversation or, or profile of decision maker. What I'm not going to do is double my output by focusing on other, other channels that, that, that don't have that human conversation. So that's, that's my singular view on it is like, will that tool allow us to have more human conversations in a week? If it is, great, let's look at it. If it's not going to, then it's a distraction and we don't need it. Yeah, I think there's so many distractions that are there now. And I think also one single tool is being able to do five different things now, whereas I think five years ago it was doing one thing. So I think maybe interestingly, we might see some consolidation of of how reps are using tools and, and what they're using as well. Um, but gosh, I could sit here for hours and talk to you, Ern. Um, so you, there's there's so much that I think um, everyone who's listening to this will will take away. Um, if people want to reach out to you and get in touch, um, what's the best way for them to do that, Ern? Uh, don't send me a LinkedIn email um, because there's too many of them. <laughs> so I'm always happy to talk to people. Email is a good start. Um, Owen at air-marketing.co.uk. By all means, write to me on LinkedIn. But I, I don't know about you, but I get about 100 automated LinkedIn uh, yeah. uh, emails a week. So if you send me a genuine one, the chances of me seeing it sadly are slim. Um, so always better with a with a you know a phone call or or a um, or an email. That's a, a better chance of getting me. Well, as we said, the phone's not dead, so I'm sure your number's out um, there. Um, um, if you if you use some good data tools out there, you can find me on my mobile. And if if I get a cold call, I always entertain it. So you're welcome. <laughs>